Correct Theology. Um, Dr. Matt Murphy. And Dr. Kevin Matt Young. Murphy. Yeah, here we are again. Good to see you, man. Yeah, good to be here and exciting stuff. I got to say, man, um, like on the Twitterverse the last couple of weeks, Kevin Young has become a superstar out of viral. <laughs> I, I, you know, I you, you make one post, I think that inflames a whole bunch of people and it happened to be, I think it was the LGBT, my, my, my statement, what yeah. was it, that the image of God is not disfigured in um lgbt in the lgbtqi plus community and, yeah. and and since then i guess i'm just on the radar for for a number of uh it, it's twitter is is like it's like the wild west it's crazy town out there yeah you never know what might hit and and i i found on twitter some posts that i think are are just flops people gravitate towards and some I think are awesome. No, no one gravitates towards. So yeah, it's weird. Uh, and I mean, it's it, the algorithm. It's all about the algorithm, right? Yeah, yeah, very true. Um, well, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of stirring this week in the last couple of weeks. I mean, we missed last week because of the the storm, the big storm that actually just left our area. It rained here for six straight days it was hurricane ian remnants just hovering over the new york philly metro area and caused a little flooding on our shore shore areas not as bad as you had so we missed last week how are you guys doing down yeah, there? yeah we're doing i mean we're doing okay you know it was on the the west coast of florida and we we're on the east coast of florida over here so um i, I mean other than loss of power some downed trees and in our house 24 24 hours without broadband connectivity um other than uh, other than that which is just nothing compared to to what other people have gone through uh, we were we were fortunate hurricanes are, are it's kind of like russian roulette you just you never know until until it hits what it's going to be and yeah. where it's going to be yeah I bet you had a lot of a lot of kid time trying to uh, occupy your children with no broadband. Yeah, it was uh, <laughs> pull out pull out the puzzles, pull out pull out the games. Yeah, well, so it seems to be all the rage. Um, a couple of things there's that I think we should address is, and we've kind of hinted at it in some of our previous podcasts, but this idea that if you're in Kevin D young, no relation to Dr. Kevin young here on the pod. Uh, he, he, he made some tweets this past week connected to, uh, the LGBTQI community. And then also trans, I mean, and then I think with that is a whole transgender issue that's going on in Tennessee. Um, with Matt Walsh and, and some others making the statement and kind of the gist, if I could summarize like the conversation there's, there's one side of the coin that's kind of like saying, well, if you, if you are a practicing homosexual, you're a practicing transgender, uh, you're in, you're in sin and you're in, des you deserve God's wrath and hell. Um, then there's kind of the other side of like, um, which I think you and I would more fall on is like, what are you talking about? Um, <laughs> just because you, even if, you know, even if you feel like, and this is a conversation I, I think we need to dive into is even if you feel like that's a sin, why is that a, 
disqualification from eternity with God? Um, what makes that sin so much worse? I haven't got like a straight answer, um, you know, and, and then I, and then the, the conversation goes everywhere in between. It, it goes to, you know, interpreting the scriptures and, you know, I, I think we should dive into some of that today. Um, the transgender issue as well. Um, you know, the, there's some scriptures that I, we probably both feel are, we should probably pull up today um, in support of transgender. It's a complicated issue. I don't think, and, and I want to say this up front just because maybe Kevin and I are a little bit more either, I mean, we're definitely both away from more, more the conservative view that Kevin DeYoung posed. Um, and it, it's, it doesn't mean that we don't feel like there's sin and, and that there and that sin sh- shouldn't be addressed in our lives. I mean, and so I want to make that clear up front. Um, and we can have a conversation whether or not that is even a sin or even addressed in the scriptures as well. So that's kind of the, like the discussion that's happened a lot. And it's like there's a lot of back and forth. There's a lot of opinions on it. Um, so I don't know if you had any thoughts. Yeah, to add I mean, to I think <laughs> this is a, this is a tough conversation. And I, I think the starting point, which you just said, is so important, is that we can't we can't be in the place of immediately crying heretic for somebody whose opinion on these types of issues are um, different than ours. You know, whenever you do that, whenever you immediately cry heretic or say you're not following the Bible, you're not listening to God, it immediately removes the ability to to dialogue and to talk. Uh, and so I, I think it's important for us to not make too little of this topic, but I think it's also important for us to not make too much of this topic. The reality is at most six verses in the entirety of scripture um, talk about this subject and there's a lot of other topics that have a lot more verses and time given to it. And I, I just don't think it's fair to raise this to being above or the most important conversation um, in, in scripture. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't comport with the amount of time or attention given to it in scripture. So I think we have to at least walk back the rhetoric a little bit in order to at least be able to listen with an open mind and an open heart. Even if we, at the end of the day, say, I'm not changing my opinion, we should at least be able to listen to the opposite side and to all vantage points. Uh, but you know, I think Kevin DeYoung, you, I was going to ask you when you were talking about his statements, because I, I think that that's a theology or a perspective that's really strong. And a lot of people adhere to is that you you will not enter the gates of heaven. If you don't subscribe to a very particular view of the rightness or wrongness of anyone who is in the LGBTQIA plus community. Where does that come from? Is, is that like a, a reformed theology? Is it a Calvinistic theology? Is it a, a five point, an ultra five point? Like where, where does that, where does that land? Where does that come from? Because it, it has to, it has to be rising. Is it rising out of a theology or is it just rising out of hate and we're attaching theologies to it? Like, do you, do you yeah. have an opinion? I, I think it, I mean, my perception is it's a little bit of both. I think there's definitely a fear um, 
there, there's some, there's, you know, I, I use the word bigotry on in the Twitterverse this week talking about it. And I, and, and I've used in the past homophobic, I think there is definitely like a fear of homosexuality and not knowing what to do with it. So there's that kind of like bigotry, uh, you know, um, homophobic stuff going on. But I also think too, like in the reformed theology, it's very much like you're, you're a sinner, right? We're all, we're all doomed to hell. You know, this is the classic sermon, right? Like we're all doomed to hell, we of God's wrath. And so Jesus came to save us from our sin. And so in the process of that salvation is when you're coming to Christ, you've got to identify that sin in your life and you've got to repent of it and begin to walk in a new way. And so this issue for them in their minds is such a huge, obvious sin that they're unrepentant of and they're not walking away from that they actually truly don't understand the gospel and that they are going to hell. Um, and so I try to engage them in that. Like, um, I, you know, I don't know if I want to come out of the closet with this, but I, I, I want, I want to engage them there. So if that's where they're at. And so if you're, if you're a part of the LGBTQI community and, and you're listening to this, don't hear me say, I think you're sinning. That's not what I'm saying. But when I engage in, in conversation with the reformers, like, like Kevin DeYoung, I'll say, oh, let's start there. Okay, they are sinning. Why is that sin the one sin that just completely disqualifies them? Because I bet you, I not bet you, I know for a fact, being in the Reformed circles, that every pastor I know has sin he practices regularly, being in these accountability groups, right, that they're unrepentant of, that they don't defeat, that they don't walk away from. Um, so what makes you better – you know, those reformers better than, um, you know, the homosexual in, you know, in our communities. I, I don't, I don't get that. Like, I don't get where you say you, you can't say there can be gay Christians. I, 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 I didn't understand that even when I was in the reformed world, to be honest with you. Um, you know, when I was in the reformed world, I'd try to get, you know, a homosexual to, to leave that lifestyle for sure. But I never thought they couldn't be saved. I would baptize them, all, all of that. Yeah, I even had one uh, man I worked with who wouldn't even baptize. If they were a practicing homosexual, he would not baptize them, even if they you know, came to Jesus and, and wanted to follow Jesus um, until they stopped practicing. So I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, theology is definitely a big part of it, but I also think it's so ingrained in you from a young age when you're in these worlds that homosexuality is bad and there's a lot of fear and not knowing how to even interact in that world. Yeah, I think the indoctrination indoctrination is really a great point is that most most of us I think who who are in in those theological streams or um, think that way uh, it it has been bred into us that the Bible says this and and it's almost impossible to to undoctrinate and if no one in your community is is advocating for it or potentially saying are you sure if you're not even going to ask the question is this right am i right is this okay i i don't know where we go from there mm -hmm. 
Um, yeah, and and then also it, it has like there's so many implications of that because that statement and that belief system, like you really are ending the relationship right from the beginning. Um, there's no there's no ability to to enter into someone's life if you're immediately going to write them off. Um, so why, why would a, why would yeah. a, why would a Christian, you know, for, if I'm an outsider and I have been told that Jesus is a loving dude who, um, told his followers to love their neighbors, how do I get to a place where I can write people off to hell? is that is that like doctrine of election is is that because i i recognize that in the end that a, a certain classes of people are are, are simply god's going to destroy and so it's okay for me to do that now I, I just how do you how do you how do you get how do you get to that point i don't know that they actually are right so um, and this might get me in big trouble, but David Bentley Hart, um, you know, wrote a book. I forget it was on hell, and he talked about this idea that we're actually all, no matter our belief on hell, we're all functional universalists, right? Okay, so, what's that mean? Like, it, so he, his argument is like, if you truly believed that if if a certain person doesn't like, um except Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, um, that they were going to be damned to hell, then you would live your life a completely different way, especially with your family. Like, you know, he, he made the argument, like, there's people you actually love that you know don't believe what you believe, and you're just letting them go to hell <laughs> because you're, you're not doing everything within your power to get them to believe, right? Um, and I thought that was a compelling argument that, like um, – for why we're actually functional universalists. So um, there's that side of it. Do they really truly believe that's what's going to happen? Like you're going to let your kids, you're going to let your parents just go to hell um, in some cases or your best friend that you grew up um, because odds are you're probably not sharing the gospel every time you get, you're not showing them how, how big of a difference it you know makes and that sort of thing. But then also I think too, there's this mentality of, wanting to be on the in crowd, right? And if there's an in crowd, then there has to be an out crowd. I think that's kind of human nature, right? Like we create clicks, you know, as humans and we want to be like part of the cool club, right? And so if we identify a group of people that's part of the cool club, we want in that club and we get in that club, then there's people that aren't allowed to be in that club because they're not cool enough. Because if everybody was allowed, then there is no cool club and we're not special. <laughs> and so I think there's, there's a human, human nature element to, to that as well as feeling like I'm part of the in, in club. So yeah. What like group know. think, um, yeah, you know, you're, you're in a group, the group thinks this. And so there is, um, a need for, for the group to maintain, to maintain a stream of thought and for people to be obedient to that. And, Whenever uh, we see what happens, whenever somebody questions 
or whenever somebody walks away, you see how the group becomes wolves and, and treats people who do that. And so there is a lot of implied, implicit and explicit um, data that forces one to stay in, even if they don't fully understand or agree with, with the theology or with the doctrine. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. Cause I was just thinking as you're talking, like, it's like, uh, it's like we never left high school, you know, mean girls. Like, <laughs> so, yeah, it, so we, 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 we have a whole bunch of theologies run by mean girls. Yeah. And if what happens when you leave the mean girls, they're extra mean to you, right? You got to stay with the plastics. Um, yeah, I think that's a great way to look at it. Um, and I think, you know, I think it, the, the, the world looks, the, the world looks at Christians as mean girls. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. What, to, the, yeah. Yesterday I posted something about why are the most toxic people always Christians and the, the Christians were all like, how, 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 <laughs> Mark Driscoll, how dare how you, dare you? <laughs> you know? um, how dare you, you know, and, and the, the non-Christians were like, yeah. <laughs> and so that like, the, yeah. the, it was like, you know, the people who are on the inside that, you, you know, the mean girls couldn't see it. And the people on the outside were like, yeah, mean girls. Yeah. Yeah. You're yeah. right. And I think that thing blew up. Uh, and, and I think it blew up because it's so. It's it hit so a nerve. True, yeah. It hit a nerve yeah, you hit know, a on nerve. both sides. It hit a nerve, you know, in yeah. Christians who are like, no, we're not toxic. We're, we're right. And if we're acting, <laughs> if, if we're acting toxic, it's only because we're right. And you don't understand. And the, uh, the outsiders were like, no, you're wrong. And the fact that you won't admit that you're wrong on anything proves the fact that you're toxic it, it struck a nerve yeah 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 um yeah the, the whole concept of hell i think plays into this like what you believe about hell um what you believe scripture says about hell. i think it's um no i i tend i tend to take the view on hell that we create our own hell on earth that Jesus came to save us from hell. I think that's, I mean, that's a true statement. I think he came to save us from our own hell that we create. And so like he showed us a, a new way to, to live in this world, to walk in this world. And he calls us out of that. And he is the savior of that. And, and so when you, when you look at that, when Jesus calls us out of our own hell into a new way of living, I think you look at lifestyle sins differently, especially with this. Um, and I, and I think if you put it in that context and then you actually interpret Paul correctly, Paul is actually talking about like to live as a pedophile or a sexual abuser, um, is the wrong way to live. That's a sin. Right. And I think as we look at how to live in this world, that's still true today. That is very true. Um, you know, and he wasn't talking about homosexuality as we see it today. He had no concept of homosexuality as we see it today, where a man and a man have a committed relationship and are loving each other and caring for each other. Um, just as a husband and wife would from scripture. Um, I, I, I know, and you probably do too, many married couples. I don't think they're living in hell <laughs> by living that way. Uh, 
who could say that they live in hell when you, when you try to like pray the gay away, right? That becomes their own version of hell. And so what are we really after? Like what did, what is hell and what did Jesus save us from in regards to hell? Um, and, and I think that's an important theological kind of baseline that affects a lot of this. Yeah. I think um, hell is <laughs> hell is hell. <laughs> Talk, the, the idea of hell is just, it's just hell. hell. Um, I, hell is a, it, it has been so wielded as a tool to create fear and I think it's been wielded as a tool for mean girls to send other people to. And, uh, you, you know, does that mean that there isn't a hell? I, I think that's a separate question from, is it okay for us to create fear or to send other people there? I, th I think is a separate question. But if the question is, is there a hell? Um, I, I, what do you mean by hell? I mean, the Bible uses at least four words for hell or that we translate into hell in English. Sheol, Hades, Tartarus, and um, what's the fourth one? Gehenna. Those have four very different specific meanings. Uh, and it, none of those are the same hell that we imagine, which is more Dante than it is divine. And then you have the question of eternal conscious torment. Is a loving God truly going to, once you die, is there no coming back? You know, are you there being consciously tormented forever? Um, even a lot of people who believe in hell would say yes, but not that far. So there's, it's not a yes or a no. It's not a black or a white. There are lots of beliefs um, and questions on on the spectrum of, of, of hell across the board on this. And I, I fear that we use hell more as a as a commodity, as a tool, uh, in order to preach our own self righteousness or to damn other people who we don't like too, than we do use hell in a way that is authentic at best to the way scripture seems to use it, and that's not as a gotcha. Yeah, if 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 hell was a conscious eternal torment, don't you think when Jesus is here, he'd be explicitly clear about that and be like, "Guys, you do not want this, <laughs> right?" Like you'd think, when, right? When he'd be like all over his disciples, guys, I'm, I'm telling you what's coming, right? He never did that. Um, I, yeah, I think culturally it played into it. Like, um, well, what? what sell what sells more than shame and guilt and fear uh really nothing right like that's that stuff sells and so i mean even you mentioned dante i mean the church commissioned him for that painting uh that we actually you know base a lot of our theology of hell upon on his painting that isn't based in scripture whatsoever was based in the church to to scare people into attending and giving the church their money and then that sort of thing and then also, as you were talking, I thought of um, Jonathan Edwards' sermon, you know, his famous Sinners yeah. in the Hands of an Angry God. An angry God. Dangling right? over, like, what is it, dangling over hell like spiders? Or th that's the image I was thinking yeah, of yeah. that sermon. Yeah, yeah. Um, which was also manipulative and in, in, in trying to control people for, uh, I guess, a, a 
church growth end, right? It was to, they, you know, they thought they were having the great revival in America and, and he was driving people towards that. Scaring maybe, people. I mean, I guess maybe that's it. That's my, so much of these theologies are, are manipulation and, and trying to drive people towards what, what we want rather than um, what they want. And we've somehow or other gotten this idea that whatever, whatever we want is definitely what God wants. And you know, what, what is it? So if God hates the same people you hate, then um, yeah, you, you might want to rethink your theology. Yeah. And you know, it's, uh, yeah, why, why, so why would, so if, if you believe that, that if you pray the, the sinner's prayer, right, and you follow Jesus and you begin to walk in his ways, that you would not also be saved from whatever eternal damnation you think happens, why does being gay eliminate you from that ability? I've heard, heard no answer. <laughs> um for that so it, it just doesn't doesn't add up and it actually makes them look um not very smart not very intelligent in that like if you started with the premise that yeah those people could be saved and then we had a conversation uh, i think it would be a lot healthier um but they they can't even do that which is which is interesting. Well, you know, the, um, the theology I always heard growing up is it's willful disobedience. It's it's living in sin. You know, once you know, if you continue to practice it, then it's willful disobedience. And that keeps you, you know, outside of the kingdom of God. I'm like, dude, you know that yelling at your kid and, you know, talking like you talk to your wife isn't of Christ and you keep doing it. It, it is willful disobedience. You know, I don't yeah, understand. Well, I don't understand how you get off on saying that somebody else's sin is willful disobedience and they're going to hell because they won't stop practicing it. And you keep yelling at your kid. <laughs> I, I, I just, you know, take the friggin' log yeah, out of your I eye would. and yeah. look around. Oh, and, and the, and the porn issue too. Like I, I know a number of, of pastors that yeah, are, what's the I mean, the stat for pastors is no better than, than the and average. Like, it might even be worse. Which is, un, you know, yeah, that, that just gets, you know, these guys and they know it, like they know either they're addicted to porn or they know their fellow past other fellow pastors that are addicted to porn because, um, they just know. And then they're, they're making this argument. Um, so it's just, doesn't add up. It actually look, makes you look dumb and it really honestly it makes you look like a bigot or homophobic i hate to say it because an i asshole. have friends i'm just, I'm just gonna i don't know is, yeah is i have friends that do, I have, do i have to believe that, that afterwards yeah and they, they say do you really think i'm a home i'm homophobic i'm like well yeah if I, that's what you believe you know words um, have meanings and if you look up the meaning of that word you're you're, you're going to find yourself you know yeah. <laughs> if you don't like it do something about it, but words have meetings. Yes, yes, you're a homophobe. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Um, so, the, yeah, I mean, I think, I, I said this to you this week, you, you cannot look at Paul 
to deal with the homosexuality issue as we see it today here in America. Um, he, he was talking about pedophilia. He was talking about sexual abuse. If you actually look at, at the scriptures um, in their context and how Paul would use those words and how those words that he wrote in the Greek were used in that yeah, time you're, frame. You're, you're right on, Matt. And this is... You have to deal with the fact, if you're going to hold that theology, that the Bible, most of the verses that you use to hold that theology, clearly do not in any way, shape, or form support that theology. And a novice reading and understanding of the Greek language and cultural context will will say that Romans chapter 1 and 1 and Corinthians and, and what's going on in, in Leviticus is not in any way, shape, or form commenting at all on homosexuality. Uh, the only way you can get there is by only using an English translation that, that uses those words. And it's the most, it's the worst hidden secret in Christianity that the texts don't support the theology the way that they say that it does. But it just, they're lying about what the texts say and yeah. what Paul means. And it's gross negligence with the text. Yes, it is. And if you, in the word homosexuality didn't have its meaning as we hear it today until 1942. So the word homosexual wasn't actually written in any translation until the 19. The what? Yeah, the. Forties, um, which is 1940s. fascinating. So, your entire the last eighty years, um, you know, there there is an argument to be made if you if you were intelligent. There is an argument to be made from the created order, and and how God created us, um, and intelligent people who still stand against homosexuality. Um, you know, I I think they would obviously I. I hate the open and you either have to be open and, and welcoming or affirming um, or not. Um, but I know a lot of good people in regards to how they handle this issue who have compelling arguments from created from the created order. Yeah, I um, think that's the, I, so, I, I do. I think that's the only honest argument that the text itself. First Timothy's comment on it might be the only gray area. The rest of the texts are not gray at all on the issue, they are not discussing homosexuality as we understand it, which is even setting aside the fact, even if it, they were, it's not commenting on lesbianism. So I, I guess that's okay. It's, you know, yeah. you're gonna hold yeah. Paul, every letter and every word of Paul. Uh, well, you gotta let, you gotta let the lesbian side off the hook, but the text just don't say that. And you're right, the created order is really the only foundational leg to stand on legitimately to support an idea that that homosexuality or, or that gay marriage is against god and that it's it's an argument from silence you know it it, it is the argument yeah. it's the only argument it is um it's 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 not a silver bullet argument it's not compelling for a lot of people but it is i think you're right the only argument but we have to admit that it's an argument from 
from silence in a lot yeah, of ways. All of just, just because really, God comments really on, on just because God comments on the benefit of one of of one order, does that mean that he's saying that all other ways and orders are 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 not only not allowed, but are anathema to the point of removing someone from the kingdom of God. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a long leap to get to there from created order, but it's the only leg to stand on, I think. Yeah. And you're right. It is from silence. I think that's important to understand is, um, which is another, I guess, I guess it's kind of a straw man argument, but not really. Um, when you look at the, the, the issue of slavery, right. You can actually find the Bible verses to support slavery, <laughs> um, which for hundreds of years we did in America, right. We preached those, those passages and, and <laughs> to our detriment. <laughs> yeah. It's not, yeah. But you know, I but guess yet it, we, if, uh, forgive me. I just, what the hell are we doing? I mean, are we really spending all of our time and energy on, preaching a lifestyle issue about homosexuality rather than being about Micah six, eight, rather than being about, um, the least of these, rather than being about, um, the, the good Samaritan rather than being about the prodigal son rather than, and I'm trying to avoid I'm trying to words like avoid words, you know, that are lightning words like justice and poverty yeah yeah yeah. Uh, but, well, but are, what the hell are we doing spending our time and energy on nuancing at best six verses in scripture for a community of people who um what, what are we doing who who are we yeah, we've lost Jesus in all this. <laughs> Mark Driscoll. Um, Who do you think you are? <laughs> Who do we think yeah. we are? Um, yeah, I mean, we've ignored Jesus. Like, where's the conversation about Jesus? I actually had a friend um, leave their denomination for another denomination for over this issue because, I mean, they they took they're they're taking the more liberal stance on this and. Um, but the letter that they wrote to their church and they wrote to the denomination, it said nothing of Jesus, right? And another buddy of mine commented on that. And he's like, why is everything just about like these secondary issues and we're not talking about Jesus? Um, and I think that's true. Like we, we get caught up in these secondary issues and we don't, we we get distracted from the way Jesus called us to live and Jesus, like, like you just said, like all the, all the ways in which Jesus asked us to live, we, we ignore because we want the, you know, the right, the conservatives, we want them to go to hell. And let's, let's, for the sake of argument, let's, let's say for the sake of argument that God did clearly say people, anyone who is categorized as LGBTQIA plus is clearly outside of God's will and the king. Let, let's just for the sake of argument say that who cares? I, I, at the end of the day, what does it matter to us? It, it, it should not change our mission to love and to preach hope rather than condemnation. Where, where do we see Jesus in any way, shape or form, treating people whom 
were sinning, prostitutes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you know, in the eyes of, of, of that culture. Where do we see people get Jesus treating the, those people like that? The people who Jesus had bitter, harsh condemnation for were the religious people who were condemning other people's sins, even, even yeah. the sins that I think Jesus might have said are sins. Jesus avoids condemnation of those sinners to condemn the people who are condemning the sinners. I just, who do we think we are? What are, what are we doing? No matter where yeah. we fall on this theologically and, and practically and living out our faith, um, we've, we've lost the plot. I mean, yeah, even if, even if that group is in sin, Jesus, Jesus was open and affirming with everyone who is in sin. <laughs> he was, he, he, was. He, he knew, he knew about Judas, Judas still invited him to the table, right? He, he knew Judas was stealing from him. He, he knew about Mary Magdalene invited her to the table. Why are you, you know? having meals, table hospitality with prostitutes and known sinners, you know, what was prostitutes, tax collectors and other known sinners uh was the line that they they used how can you let how can you and your disciples live this way yeah so when people ask me am i open and affirming yes jesus was open <laughs> and think, affirming i think you're, i think I think, I think you're right there i think he was um and i don't think it's worth the fight of deciding whether or not to sin i mean we, we all have our opinions on that but I don't think that matters in the end. It's not for us to judge. It's not for us to deal with. Um, Jesus called us to love. He called us to welcome people to the table. He called us to empower, to make disciples. And make disciples doesn't mean we sit there and scream at, about their sin. Like that's the other thing too. Is like in this world, you know, we gotta speak the truth, right? I can tell you that I was discipled in the Reformed tradition for a while. And no one ever sat me down and tried to call out a bunch of sin in my life, right? Like that literally never happened to me. Like I never got sat down and, and been it was told all my sin and I needed to repent of. So oh, you were on the inside. Yeah. Well, that's true too. Yeah. I, I mean, I was privileged. I, it, it's a double standard. Yeah. If, if you're if you're an insider, you're accepted. If you're an outsider, we're gonna find we're gonna find a, a reason why you're doing something wrong, and and we're gonna keep you as an outsider while saying with the other side of our, our mouth, we want you to come to Jesus, but we want you to come on our yeah. terms. Yeah. You got to look not Christ and terms. act like us. Yeah. You got to look and act like us. Well, um, transgender issue, I think is a little different or a lot different in, in some ways, it, in some ways it's connected. Um, I, I think you got to start with science. So on this issue, so um, you just lost the latest, the Christians. The latest, the, yeah, the latest data I read um, was one to two in a hundred people are born transgender or intersex with either zero gender parts or both gender parts. So um, somewhere around two percent. Yeah. So. I mean, we all probably know somebody. 
I, I actually have a childhood friend I know who was intersex and, and it's up and when that happens, at least in America, doctors bring you the parents in and the parents decide what gender do you want this baby to be? Um, and so they choose. And, and so maybe when that child gets a little older, um, their feelings, uh, are different. Like their emotions, their sexual preference is different. Right. And so they want to have a change, um, because their parents chose wrong. <laughs> um, and, and so to say that like transgenderism cannot happen just based on that, like that, that's just science and actually proven biological issues in our day and age. And so to say that, it, that as someone gets older, they cannot, they cannot choose for themselves yeah. because maybe their parents chose wrongly is just awful. No, awful. I, I think your, your argument there is is really is is really critical because the line that Christians so often use is that created order he created them male and female and so you know it's a very binary mentality and and the intersex population um, totally blows that out of the water because we're not just talking about a physical genital deformity or lack of clarity uh, between male and female. We're also talking at the DNA level. People are born with unclear, whether it's XX or XY, you know, there, there is a spectrum. It is not always binary. And, you know, whenever people are legitimately confronted with the science of this, the truth of this, that it happens, the answer that I hear is, well, okay, that is the exception. But if there is one exception, then your rule of binary male female transgender is against god is uh it it completely it, it falls apart if, if there's a single exception to the rule then it's no longer a rule uh you have to walk it back and say i have to rethink where god's heart is on this and where where truth is and where falsehood is when it comes to gender and sexuality and um, the trans, the trans community. And it, you know, Jesus comments on this in Matthew 19, Jesus validates this idea that, you know, some people are born this way. Some people are born as <laughs> the word he uses is eunuchs, which is literally the exact same definition. Eunuch is, is queer, which means a, a non-binary, uh, situation. And, uh, Jesus himself, he actually addresses he, this. He, he, he recognizes he, he says people are born this way. He, he recognizes that people are born in a way that is not you're a man, you're a woman. And what he means by that, I think, is up to conversation. You know, it may not be completely clear what he means by that, but we know what he doesn't mean is everybody is born 100% male or 100% female. And he said, "People, some people choose that too." Yeah, well, he, three three categories. Some, yeah, some people are born this way. Some people are made this way. Yeah, it, it, you know, it's. I I don't know how is it, you know, 
as a Christian, you the, especially the plain and clear readers, like it's plainly and clearly in the English, even the English text, that some people are born this way, um, and we want to we want to also send them to hell, um, and talk about how awful it is, and try to ban, uh, you know, gender surgeries and that sort of thing, um, because yeah. someone begins to realize. Bio, biologically they're not what they're they are supposed to be um well, this it's is very kind of, unloving it's you yeah, know well, i mean through this whole conversation i've been thinking how wrong it is whenever i said yesterday that all why are the most toxic people christians the greatest pushback that i got from christians was the fact that i said all christians are toxic you cannot say that all Christians are toxic. That's not okay. You can't say that. And you, you know, you're, you're right. I was speaking hyperbole, but you're right. I cannot categorize all Christians and put them all in the same bucket. And yet Christians do that with the LGBTQI community. We take every gay issue and individual and their stories, every lesbian person issue in there, every bisexual, every trans, every queer, um, every asexual, every intersex, and we put them all and lump them together and say, anyone who is in this category who, who affirms or ally or is an ally with any sector at all of any of this is outside the kingdom of god and in hell and it just it's not fair to categorize all of that together because as you said you know paul does say there's sin paul says there is sexual immorality paul does not you can't say, well, okay, if you accept homosexuality, then you have to accept pedophilia too. No, that's not at all what Paul is saying. And Paul clearly delineates those lines. But, you know, for us to categorize intersex people who are born this way, trans people who are transitioning, who are changing back to the birth gender that God gave to them from the ones that their parents or doctors assigned, you know, on day two, incorrectly you know for homosexuals who the bible clearly says some of what goes on in that community is outside of what god wants and some of what goes on in that community the bible seems to indicate is not outside of what god wants some of what goes on in the heterosexual community is outside of what god wants okay let's be honest so yeah. it is wrong to the point of being egregious and deplorable for us to simply take what idiots on the Christian side call word soup. And when they say word soup, they mean LGBTQIA, all of the letters. And to just wholesale push them out of the kingdom of God is, um, I'm going to say you may be pushing those people out of the kingdom of God, but what you're actually doing is you're the one who's pushing yourself out of the kingdom of God. When you push, yeah. you're pushing yourself out of it rather than pushing them out. Um, it's okay. I'm going to shut up. Go, go ahead. Take over. <laughs> Talk. <laughs> I'm mad. Yeah. No, I mean, you're right. You, you know, you're, you know, we fit on it. It's just, it's just so unloving. It's just so not out of the character of who Jesus was and what he was about. Yeah, that's it. It's um, out of the about. character. It's out of the character of who, who Jesus was and, and, and who Jesus says God is, you know? It's, yeah. And he, unloving yeah it just it's it's out of character i love that yeah he he came for the marginalized he came for the down and outers he came for the lgbtqi community 
he really did. And the whole pedophile thing is is just a really bad straw man thing because it's a sexual thing that you know people have an attraction to, and and I, it's it's ridiculous because if you look at hell, all right, let's and and hell on earth like that creates hell on earth for people right um and clearly paul was against that i mean clear in scripture that's not right um i I don't even know why they would they would think that um and even our cultural society that's not right it's seen as wrong like it's it's yeah i it's just a really bad like when somebody pulls that on me which has happened this week it's like I know the conversation's over. Um, they have no other answer. They've never heard Jesus. They never. They never realized Jesus actually talked about intersex. They never read that story before. They. They never realized that you know the word homosexual, as we understand it, wasn't used till the 1940s. They don't. They don't get that. Um, you know, they. All this stuff's new to them, and, and they're just. They have nothing else to say. They're just repeating like these lines that they've heard their whole life. Um, and they've never actually studied it, learned anything about it, um, and really like made a decision on their own. So yeah, I, um, and it it allows them then to distance themselves from actually entering into the fray because it's messy. Let's be honest; like I still don't know fully how to interact um, in this world. Um, you know, a lot of it I think has to do with my upbringing and and then the cult, the baggage that I carry from like growing up. Like how, like, like I, I just I feel like I have a lot to learn um, in, in this whole thing, um, and I'm going to continue to seek to grow. I'm going to continue to try to, you know, pursue this. But it's, you know. I just don't have respect for people that, that actually don't think for themselves. I'll say it. Like I, I just, I lose a lot of respect for you. If you, if you haven't, if you're just repeating lines you've heard over and over your whole life, um, or you're just saying they're automatically going to hell. Um, I don't respect that. Um, cause I, I, I think that we've got, if we're, if we're truly Christians, we're, you know, and I'm, I'm especially speaking to pastors. If you're truly a pastor leader in a church, like, You've had you have so many people in your community that that are in this LGBTQI community that you need to do your homework and learn how to engage this community, um, or you're you're missing a large portion of your community, and to just write them off as going to hell and you're not going to do anything with it is just lazy and unbecoming as a pastor and leader and your spiritual leader in your community. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.